Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.56 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the very 1st of December, 2021. Santa Claus is coming, bitches. This is episode 510 of Bitcoin. And let me make sure that that's actually correct. Is it correct? I mean, I don't know. It's still pretty early for me. Uh, Yeah, it is. It's episode 510 of Bitcoin. And let's... Here from our good friend, Ray Dalio, who is, uh, you know, uh, basically the CEO of Bridgewater and, you know, well-known investor, well-known investor, very sharp guy, almost too sharp. In fact, his commentary when asked questions about how China, you know, basically, uh, what are they, illegally harvest organs from the Uyghur and commits you know, human rights violations like you're cooking a fucking TV dinner. Let, let, he's got to have something. He's got to have something poignant to say about all this, right? Let's find out. One of the quick questions I just want to ask you on China, though, is clearly there's, there's human rights issues. Uh, there's questions right now about this Chinese tennis player, uh, Peng Shui. There have been questions about Jack Ma. H- how do you think about that piece of it when it relates to investing there? Well, I can't be an expert in those types of things. What I basically do, and I, for 50 years I, um, I invest all over the world, I look uh, to whatever the rules are. The, if the government is sent, has a policy that I should do a certain thing and so on, but I can't be an expert in all of those, uh, those particular dynamics of, of that. I'm, I really have no idea. They, um, so the guidance of the, you know, the government and is you know, the most important thing. It's um, these are political. It's like and then I look at the United States and I say, well, what's going on in the United States? And should I not invest in the United States because other things and not our own human rights issues or other things, you know, and I'm not trying to make political comparisons. I'm basically just trying to follow the rules, understand what's going on and, and invest uh, properly, but Ray, but, but Ray you, you recognize, I, I think that what's going on in the United States and there are there. Look, there are things that happen in the United States that I don't agree with that. I imagine you don't agree with. But I think that those things are different than some of the things we see happening in China. People aren't are, the government isn't disappearing people, for example. Um, OK, look, you want to get into the policy of disappearing people. I'll, I'll give a little bit of a perspective of that. OK. What they have is an autocratic system. Um, and uh, one of the uh, leaders described it. He said uh, that uh, the United States is a country of individuals and individualism. Um, and that's what it's uh, and that's what it's about. He said in China, it's an extension of the family. He said, um, uh, if you look at the word country in China, it consists of two characters, state, family. 
And that has to do with confusion. And it's very much a top down. And as a top down country, what they're doing is that it's that kind of like a strict parent. They behave like a strict parent and they go through that. That is their approach. We have our approach. Um, that, that's a question. Uh, so um, the, the notion of whatever they're doing in terms of calling in people and then um, and then uh, behaving in a certain way, that's their approach. Uh, if I if I picked that, uh, uh, evaluated all approaches around the world um, in all countries, I'd be in a bind to try to find out, you know, where do I invest and so on. It's just not my domain. And, and I'll leave it to the government to make those decisions. Um, and that's that's my basic approach. The man who would be king. The man who would be king. Yeah, Ray, you know what? <clears throat> I think what it is is what we're finding out is that you and all the rest of your scumbag friends basically got rich because you have no ethics and no morals and nothing contains you from doing everything in your power to be able to do just, you know, get a whole shit ton of money and do it in a way that, you know, you really just don't give a shit about, do you? Do you? I'm sorry, man, but, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of capitalism, but Jesus Christ, people. Yeah, have have just, you know, a modicum of ethics, because generally speaking, what happens when people just eject their ethical and their moral base, you know what happens? You get decadence, you get uncaring, you get non-charitable citizenry. You know, most of the time back in the day before we had welfare and all that bullshit, citizens had this unique opportunity and the ability to take care of their neighbors. And you know what? They actually did. Now, yes, did people fall through the cracks? Yeah. Did people fall through the cracks with welfare? Yeah. But what's the fucking difference? Stop stealing my money and I maybe I'll be able to, you know, help my neighbors out when they actually need to be helped out. But with people like Ray Dalio walking around defending the Chinese government and all of their horrific all of the, the defending essentially their entire communist Chinese horrifying record on human rights. We all know what China's doing. We all know it. All right. There's no covering that shit up. And here we have Ray Dalio, who's got so many fingers in Chinese investments that he literally cannot tell you, Andrew, me, or himself. The truth, is that the world that you want to live in? It is not the world that I want to live in, but I do like living in this world. Lightning Terminal just got upgraded. Now users can interact with their node on the web. This is out of Lightning Labs, at Lightning on Twitter. And lo and behold, they do actually have or have released a situation where you can go to terminal.lightning.engineering and you can hook your lightning node up into that and monitor. And this is one other way that you can monitor your what's going on with your lightning node, your channels. If you want to loop in, if you want to loop out, there's a also I think they have in beta the ability to go to. Um, <clears throat> oh, what, man, what is it? The marketplace for us uh, uh, if you need to get uh, or rent liquidity and rent channels because you don't want to open them up yourself. You can do that shit, too. Uh, I think in, in the future, they're also planning on having it to where you can provide liquidity uh, for bidders 
to be able to bid on and then get some money that way. In, in either event, go check it out. It's uh, terminal.lightning.engineering. And if you go to the uh, actual uh, tweet uh, from Lightning Labs at Lightning, uh, you'll get to their blog post, which is, let's see if I can actually, yeah, it's lightning.engineering forward slash post forward slash 2021-11-30-lightning-terminal if you want to actually go read the blog post without going and, and finding that URL. Now, on to the rest of the damn show. <clears throat> this is going to be a little bit different uh, because I'm going to read this one from Mike Solana uh, from the BarryWeissSubstack.com. That's BarryWeiss.substack.com. Who is Barry Weiss? Well, she used to be an editor at the New York Times, I believe, and uh, she's written for the Wall Street Journal and a couple of other things. Uh, she is not what I thought she was. Uh, she has this blog and it's, it's not that it's conservative. It seems to me that she is, uh, does not like authoritarianism. She does not like, um, all the tyranny that's going on. She does not like censorship and she's going to be, or she's got Mike Solana writing this piece for her blog entitled Twitter is about to get way worse. Yeah, probably. And we've already seen some telltale signs of that. Anyway, for anyone who cares about free speech, Jack Dorsey was the villain. But I wonder if this was mostly a matter of aesthetics. Let's be honest. The guy just always kind of looked like someone who wanted to censor your ass. It was that Stay Woke shirt he used to run around in, I think. It was the nose ring, probably. Then, I guess it could also have been the last five years of partisan Twitter policy culminating in the deplatforming of a sitting president. I mean, honestly, who knows? But my sense is, despite appearances, Jack is actually at odds with this company's drift into authoritarianism, and he's been quietly protecting many of the values he's often attacked for debasing. Alas, Monday he stepped down as CEO of Twitter. Today, what's left of our open internet is already less safe. In looking ahead for some sign of what's to come, I think it's first important to look back at what Twitter did to the New York Post. In October 2020, the paper published a story on Hunter Biden's laptop that strongly implied Joe Biden, then the presidential nominee, was corrupt. The story was immediately shut down by Facebook, which reduced traffic on the offending piece pending a third-party review that seemed not to ever have happened. But Twitter blocked the piece entirely and then took the additional steps of locking the post out of its account and prohibiting every user in the country from sharing a link to the offending piece over private messenger. <laughs> this extraordinary act of censorship, an overtly political censorship of private communications just before a presidential election made global news and would have been alarming even if the post story turned out to be untrue. It has not. <clears throat> but at the time, for me at least, Twitter's censorship wasn't so shocking as its CEO's reaction. And here's a tweet from Jack. And he's retweeting a tweet from Twitter Safety that starts with this. We want to provide much-needed clarity around the actions we've taken with respect to two New York Post articles that were first tweeted this morning. Okay, that's what Jack is retweeting here. And he says, Our communication around our actions on the New York Post article was not great, and blocking URL sharing via tweet or DM with zero context as to why we're blocking colon, unacceptable. I never saw this tweet, by the way. This is me talking. I've never, I've never 
ever saw that tweet. Not once. When all this shit was going down, I did not see Jack's tweet. And I would have had a much different view of Jack that I have today over the, and also over the last couple of months had I seen that tweet, but I didn't. So you can go figure that one out for yourself. Continuing, Jack was mortified and angry. We, f- we saw for the first time strong evidence of a social machinery beneath him at Twitter with which he was clearly in conflict. He went on to criticize his company's handling of the post debacle repeatedly and then before Congress, which is really when he told us who he was. Following our incredible election season of censorship, which infuriated the right, and the Capitol riot on January 6th, which infuriated the left, several tech executives were called before Congress to testify on a disinformation panel. It was a complete and glorious shit show, but it wasn't all miserable. Jack brought a glimmer of old internet culture. He not only regretted previous instances of Twitter censorship, but insisted He'd implemented changes to prevent something so draconian as the post-censorship from occurring again. Then, when pressed on theoretical federal censorship, he expressed forceful, almost disrespectful opposition to the concept. This was no savvy political answer, delicately minding the bloated egos of men and women capable of destroying his company. Jack Dorsey appeared before Congress looking like a haggard, bearded sage from the future fallen back in time from some dystopian hellscape to save us from ourselves. Not only did he not trust Congress with the power of censorship, he didn't trust himself. In fact, he argued it was a power that literally should not exist. Finally, he declared under oath he was presently attempting to make sure censorship of that sort being considered by Congress could, in fact, never be considered again. Under Jack's direction, Twitter has been working on a decentralized social media protocol called Blue Sky. In other words, by leveraging blockchain, (coughs) his intention is to build a platform with no boss. The project is still in its research phase, and there's a lot about it that we don't know, but it seems the protocol would, in practice, naturally build a kind of censorship-proof social media backbone on top of which applications like Twitter would sit. And in this way, Twitter might be reduced to a single lens through which you engage with the social internet. It would no longer be the social internet. Twitter could revoke its single lens from you, but, or rather, for failing to follow some ridiculous new speech code, for example, but in a world of blue sky, you couldn't be erased for the infraction. Jack is also a man who, it must be said, truly refuses to shut up about Bitcoin, a decentralized digital currency. These are anti-authoritarian tools. He hasn't pursued them because he doesn't understand them. He's pursued them because he's been resisting the authoritarian impulses of the people around him, as well as the media and government, for years. He's pursued them because he believes the world needs them. Thank you, in other words, is I guess what I'm getting at. Twitter, the purest distillation of our social internet, changed the way we think and opened us to all manner of new concerning social possibilities. But it also hugely contributed to the destruction of our pre-existing hegemonic media Death Star. Cultural outcasts often complain about censorship on the app, but the legacy of Twitter under Dorsey is far more a legacy of empowering heretical voices, voices that could not have existed in a socially meaningful way even 20 years ago. Then it is a legacy of silence. Let's be real. 
I'm writing this piece for a newsletter founded by a former New York Times editor who, in a pre-Twitter universe, would have been shoved out of the New York Times and never heard from again. Twitter liberated information. It empowered the counter voice. Then, most importantly, it gave our stagnant cultural overseers an outlet to simply tell us honestly who they are and what they believe, which was, of course, sufficiently horrifying to free us all from the notion they should retain their position of cultural dominance. In 2016, when Jack wore that much-discussed Stay Woke shirt to an otherwise beside-the-point tech conference, it was read as an overtly political statement, and it was political, but not in the way it was interpreted on the political left as too little moderation too late, nor the political right as a commitment to censoring wrongthink. When pressed, Jack explained exactly what woke meant to him explicitly in terms of the institutional media, which he implied had been lying to us. His answer, insufficiently partisan, characteristically succeeded only in infuriating everyone, which is why he was, in my opinion, the best man for a job that no man should have. According to Jack, staying woke meant looking at the world with your own eyes, sharing what you saw, and judging it for yourself. He promises, or his promise was to empower average people to do these things. Yeah, he's made mistakes along the way, but he delivered on his promise, and it is on this delivered promise his tenure should be judged. Still, against the committed efforts of leaders in media and politics, as well as many of his own employees, defending freedom of expression in a time of ascendant authoritarianism was always a losing battle, or at least along the dimensions of Web 2.0. It's been 24 hours since Jack's resignation, and while I'm not really interested in the evolving loser drama surrounding the new CEO's decade-old tweets, it is worth noting that Twitter has already updated its content policy in a manner that effectively makes citizen journalism impossible. Let's read that again. It is worth noting that Twitter has already updated its content policy in a manner that effectively makes citizen journalism impossible things will only get worse. There is perhaps more Jack could have done before he left, but I think we're all about to realize just how much he was doing, quietly, in stewardship, over a power he was wise enough to fear and good enough not to use. Godspeed, Bird King, you'll be missed. Hashtag stay woke. All right, that's the end of the piece by Mike Solana for BarryWeissSubstack.com. Um, what did you think? I thought it was a pretty damn good piece. We don't know who Jack is. And anybody who says that they do is either lying to you or lying to themselves. We do not know what kind of man Jack is. Unless you're going out and getting beers with him, like all the time, and grew up with him and have known him for 20 years and went to his wedding, or I don't know if he's married, but, you know, I don't know, hung out with him and his girlfriend, or he came to your marriage, you know, whatever. Right. Unless you're unless you've been doing that for years, you don't you don't know who he is. None of us do. And it's really surprising that he stepped for me, that he stepped down as CEO, because I think what it meant was that he knew he knew what was coming and he knew he wasn't going to be able to combat it. And he knew that self-preservation was going to be key in being able to move forward. The thing that bugs me about Blue Sky is that it's not owned by Jack, or at least according to this and some of the other stuff that I've read, is that this is a push being made by Twitter. 
So if Twitter owns the thing, will it ever come out? I don't think so. I was hopeful that it was owned by Jack, that Jack was doing this on the side, and I was wrong, apparently. That's okay. I don't mind being wrong. I'm wrong a lot. But in either event, what we need to understand here is that we don't know who Jack is. We don't know what his plans are. We don't know what he's doing right now, but I can tell you what I hope. I hope he builds Blue Sky, or at least an iteration of that, by himself. Or, well, not all by himself, but has enough money. He's got enough money that he can hire a team and start doing this. But the question is, will he? I don't know, but if he doesn't, it's going to suck. I'm already seeing a lot of different changes in Bitcoin Twitter. And Twitter, basically Twitter in general. I can just sense it in the air. The the language that people use is changing and it's not and I don't mean that in a way that we're we're all being more careful about what we what we're saying. No, quite 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 literally the opposite. There I mean I'm seeing a lot of just really pent up angst that's starting to bubble over and come out into just general tweets. I think we're done not with Twitter, but here's here I think we're just done with thinking that everything's going to be all right. I, I think we we're you know we're we're basically at the point where it's like you just can't escape it anymore. Twitter is going to get way worse, and you better have a backup plan. My backup plan is Mastodon. Is Mastodon great? No, man. Mastodon kind of fucking blows, but there's a tool that you can at least start using while you still have your Twitter presence, while things are in flux. It's called Moa.Party. That's Moa.Party. Let me make sure of that because it's going to it's an essential tool here. And I want to make sure that you guys, uh, that it's actually correct. Yeah, <clears throat> Moa.Party. M-O-A dot party, like go to a party. It will allow you, if you have a Twitter account, and you also need to have a Mastodon uh, account. Uh, and you can j- do just go at join Mastodon and, on Twitter and or just type in Mastodon social media in your favorite search engine. I use DuckDuckGo and find out how to get one. I am on Bitcoin Hackers instance of Mastodon. Mastodon works in a very much in a, in a federated fashion. It's very different than Twitter. It looks a lot like Twitter. It acts a lot like Twitter but it's completely different in the backbone and you can tell when you're using it and that's why it seems to kind of suck. But be that as it may, what you can do with moa.party, moa.party, is you can link your Twitter account to your Mastodon account. When those two are linked, you will have options that come up on the screen that allow you to cross post. You can enable cross post, you can uh, select whether you want to post public toots to Twitter. And toots is what Mastodon calls their tweets, right? And, and all this is vice versa. So, you know, your private tweets, your public tweets, uh, unlisted um, <clears throat> tweets can go to Mastodon. And you can select which ones, which types of toots that you have on Mastodon that will populate to your old Twitter account. Be very fucking careful about going from Mastodon to Twitter. Because while you will find on Mastodon that you can say whatever the hell you want, you cannot be deleted off of Mastodon. It is almost, it's actually impossible. You can get deleted off of one of like the servers, 
but you're you can't get deleted out of the entire you know the the entire federation which there's se- there's hundreds and hundreds of servers just go find out about it but be careful because when if you get used to using Macedon and you realize that you can say whatever you want and that propagates over to Twitter Twitter is going to fry your account like chicken in hot lard dude it's and it's it they'll they'll just delete your account or whatever so be careful about the going from Macedon to Twitter from Twitter to Macedon nobody gives a shit because you know we're like if we can't you know now we can't even do citizen journalism uh, <clears throat> so you're not going to be posting any of that shit because if you do you're probably going to get your account you know pulled from you so it really won't matter but so Twitter to Macedon everything okay Macedon to Twitter be really careful now I've gone on way too long about that so let's go ahead and get into El Salvador news one of my favorite bits of news El Salvador's president asks the Fed to stop printing money yeah I don't think that's going to happen cryptopotato.com and Martin Young is writing this one on December the 1st the outspoken Naib Bukele responded to a Bloomberg report detailing Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's comments on inflation Interestingly, El Salvador's president asked the Fed chief to stop printing so much money out of thin air. A fresh round of economic anguish has been ignited by last week's discovery of the new highly transmissible COVID-19 variant named Moronic by the World Health Organization. On November the 30th, Bloomberg reported on the Fed chair's comments before the Senate Banking Committee this week. Both Democrats and Republicans expressed concerns about high prices and inflation. It added the central bank chair retired the word transitory to describe high inflation that remains a persistent issue in the United States. So... Even the president of El Salvador is asking the Fed to stop printing money. Honestly, that's kind of, that should be really embarrassing to the Fed, right? But let's find out a little bit more about El Salvador's position in this. Naturally, store of value assets that offer a hedge against the greenback and inflation are going strong. As reported by Crypto Potato, Naib Bukele bought the dip, adding 100 BTC to El Salvador's treasury on November the 27th. It's worked out pretty well for the Latin American nation so far, despite a few protests. A tracking feed that measures the value of the $30 BTC airdrop Bukele gave citizens to spur adoption back in September is reporting a current profit of almost 15% in dollar terms. There you go, man. There you go. President Bukele winning on that front and also winning in the media by asking Jerome Powell to please turn off the uh, money printer. No, it is not going to happen. But let's find out a little bit more about what's going on with these comments by Jerome Powell. <clears throat> Matthew DeSalvo, writing for Decrypt.co, tells us more. Bitcoin and stocks fall following Fed Chair's warning of higher inflation. Bitcoin and stocks suffered today as both the crypto and traditional markets appear to have been spooked by Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell's comments about inflation. Bitcoin dropped to 56245 during a hearing before the U.S. Senate panel, a nearly 5% dip from when it stood at 59161 earlier today. After the Fed chairman said inflation should not be considered transitory. Quote, we tend to use the word transitory to mean that it won't leave a permanent mark in the form of higher inflation, he said. I think it's probably a good time to retire that word and try to explain more clearly what we mean, he commented, before adding that the risk of higher inflation has increased. 
The Dow Jones dropped by 617 points <laughs> following the comments, while the S&P fell by 76 points. The largest cryptocurrency by market cap has since recovered and at the time of writing was trading at $57,432, which is down only 2% in the past 24 hours as per CoinGecko data. Powell added that the Omicron or moronic variant of the coronavirus poses, quote, downside risks to employment and economic activity and increased uncertainty for inflation, which also appears to have had a bearish effect on markets. Bitcoin, despite often being touted as an independent for uh, as independent from traditional markets, dropped with stocks and equities following Powell's comments, a sign that the crypto asset continues to be correlated with the stock market. Yeah, only in brief periods of time, you idiot, as it has been ever since the coronavirus-induced market crash in March 2020. Bitcoin is typically marketed by its proponents as a hedge against inflation because, like gold, it has a finite supply. Dude, gold does not have a finite supply. As long as there's neutron stars hanging out in the fucking universe that have a chance to collide with each other, guess what? Gold is being created all the time. If you were to look at the supply of gold per, I don't know, let's say, let's say some spherical radius of the universe, let's say our quadrant of the Milky Way universe, the amount of gold that we're talking about is eye-watering. And it will not be very long before we start mining the asteroids in our own solar system. It will not be very long after that that we start getting approaching speed of light capabilities. It's going to happen. Humans do this shit. They always said, oh, well, humans will never be able to fly. Bullshit. We fly all the time now. So those people saying we'll never be able to get to near light speed. Bullshit. Yes, we will. For those people that say we'll never be able to mine asteroids for precious metals in my lifetime. Bullshit. Yes, we will. Gold is not a finite supply. I don't understand why people keep saying this. And we haven't even touched the sea, the seabeds or the, the floor of the ocean, that's going to happen probably around the same time that we start mining asteroids. Don't think it won't happen. Gold is not finite. Only Bitcoin is finite because only Bitcoin is governed by math. Let's run the numbers. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm going to back up and say that I was wrong in the very last statement that only Bitcoin is governed by math. No, gold is governed by math because it's physics. Its creation is governed by physics, which is math. I'm just saying that this is the Bitcoin is the only thing that we've used math to have a supply cap. Does the universe have a supply cap of gold? Yeah, it's called the heat death of the universe. But be that as it may, I just wanted to make sure that you understood that all the things in the universe that we can interact with, the way that we're built to interact with them are indeed governed by math. Okay, so just want to make, make that clear. Uh, <clears throat> now, what's not governed by math is something like, you know, flammable liquids, which mostly are on the rise today. 
West Texas Intermediate up three percentage points to $68.19. Brent North Sea up likewise 3% to $71.35. Natural gas taking it on the chin 4.86% to the downside to $4.34 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline for your car after a 3.63% rise is sitting squarely at a penny over $2.00. Shiny metal rocks mostly having a good day, except that gold is still under $1,800 an ounce at $1,788.8, and that's after a six or a 0.69% rise. Silver is down scant. <clears throat> Platinum is up one and a half. Copper is up 0.6%. Palladium is up 1.85%. Ag is mostly up. The only thing that's down is cotton and rough rice. The winner for today in agriculture looks to be both cocoa and coffee, both up half a point. Oh, and corn also up over half a point. Nice. I like the corn. Uh, Dow futures 1.18% to the upside. And that market, it's 9.27 a.m. my time. So in three minutes, the markets will open. So we'll figure out what happens after that. and, And you'll be in the opening market by the time you get to this. Anyway, Dow futures up 1.19%, S&P futures up one and a half, NASDAQ futures up one and a quarter, S&P mini up 2.34%. Let's talk about real money at a price of $58,628.46. Fuck you, Greg. You and your 58K gang can just, dude, just go away. I'm so sick of the 58K. I'm sick of it. I can't do it anymore, but I'm going to have to because I don't get to dictate what the hell it does. 1,283,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours over 289,000 transactions. That's 53,500 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 4.44 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.014 BTC or right under $800. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 40 seconds. 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. Damn near 18 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And with a 10% drop in hash rate, we are back down to 147 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, which is 21.6 United States pennies. Uh, there are 4,416, no, just flipped over 4,600, 4,800 transactions waiting on 19 blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization of $1.11 trillion, which is nine and a half percent of gold's market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase, uh, 32.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin of which there are 18,888,000. 47.75 in circulation and 3,302 of those were locked up in the Lightning Network. Valued at $193.6 million, being run over 18,365 nodes, representing 81,119 payment channels that we know about, and 74.4% of all that shit's being run over Tor. 11,174 Tor nodes that we know about. And that's going to be handling 2,457.9 BTC of the Lightning Network. And that's going to do it for Vitals.
Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Congressional candidate seeking to unseat anti-crypto Brad Sherman is accepting contributions via Lightning Network. Turner Wright has it for Cointelegraph. Uh, Arika Rhodes, a Democrat running to represent California's 30th congressional district in the House of U or the U.S. House of Representatives, has begun to accept campaign contributions in Bitcoin using the Lightning Network. In a Tuesday message to her more than 21,000 Twitter followers, that's all she has. Look, I'm going to pause right here. I am not a Democrat. I'm no longer a Republican. I don't know what the hell I am. I'm, I'm sort of politically homeless because I, I've just got to the point where poli- politics just doesn't matter. Not to me. I, I've, I, I thought it did a long time ago, but it doesn't. I'm just glad that, that somebody who is in politics is using and leveraging the Lightning Network. Let's continue. Anyway, uh, let's see. In a Tuesday message to her more than 21,000 Twitter followers, Rhodes said her campaign website has started using Lightning for campaign contributions in addition to the BitPay options for Bitcoin and some shitcoin that I will not name. According to the congressional candidate, the move was aimed at making her campaign more accessible for voters who will consider Rhodes in California's primary elections in June 2022 and potentially the general election later that year. Rhodes is seeking to replace fellow Democrat Brad Sherman, who has represented the district since 2013 and is also looking towards re-election in 20, whoa, 2022, I guess. They have 2002. Clearly, that's a typo. During his time in office, Sherman has made several anti-crypto statements, including calling for a ban on digital assets and referring to supporters of initial coin offerings as charlatans and scammers. Yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> Rhodes, an elementary school teacher, said she plans to use her time in Congress fighting to keep Bitcoin innovation in the United States. At the local level, many lawmakers coming out in support of pro-crypto legislation and other initiatives in the space have already won elections. Earlier this month, Eric Adams defeated his Republican opponent for the New York City mayoral race in a landslide, later saying he would begin accepting his paychecks in crypto and promoting the launch of the New York City coin, or NYC coin. In Florida, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez was vocal about his intentions for the city to have the most progressive crypto laws prior to winning re-election in uh, November the 2nd. Though some current members of Congress accept crypto contributions for their re-election campaigns, publicly announcing and promoting such a move is still relatively a novel concept. Given how few federal elections have occurred in the U.S. since the 2017 bull run, Morgan Harper, a candidate interested in Rob Portman's Senate seat for Ohio, recently said that she was in learning mode on the crypto space and encouraged public feedback on how lawmakers might keep bad actors out while encouraging innovation. Well, I don't know. How much innovation have we had in big tech with bad actors? Did you keep them out? No, you did not. Did you keep that chick that scammed all those people out of billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in Theranos? Did you keep her out? No, you did not. There is not legislation that you can find under any rock or, you know, up, you can climb up the tallest tree and you will never find a piece of legislation that can legislate away the entirety of the human condition. Sorry, it's not going to happen. SoftBank-backed Brazilian Bitcoin exchange raises $50 million in extension round. 
This is Bitcoin Magazine's Nomsios. 2TM, the owner of Mercado Bitcoin, the biggest Latin American Bitcoin exchange, has raised an extra $50 million in an extension round that initially captured $200 million from SoftBank Group Corp, recording, or reporting uh, from Bloomberg. The company received investments from private equity firm 10T Holdings and Tribe Capital, a venture capital fund based out of San Francisco with investments in FTX and Kraken. Brazilian venture capital firm Pipo Capital Gestal de Investimentos LTDA is also participating in the round per the report. Quote, after a torturous path, trying to explain a technology as disruptive as blockchain gag, we are now able to convince Brazilian investors about its possibilities and also venture capitalists about the potential of Latin American markets to TM co-founder Gustavo Kimati told Bloomberg. Kimati said the investment's proceeds would be geared toward growth and the development of new products. His company aims to expand into Chile, Colombia, Mexico, and Argentina. Quote, we are very happy to bring to our firm specialized investors such as Tribe Capital and 10T Holdings to TM CEO Roberto Dagnani told Bloomberg, adding that they plan on getting another round of private investment before considering going public. To TM's Mercado, Bitcoin has reached over 3 million clients and traded more than $7.1 billion, more than all its previous years combined. Holy shit. That's a, that's a hell of a growth curve, man. The exchange was the first to be created in Brazil in 2013 and has since grown into a unicorn startup. For context, there were 3.8 million individual investor accounts on the country's stock exchange in the fall semester, or sorry, the first semester of 2021. That's an interesting use of the word semester. Usually that's when we're talking about going back to school, but whatever. Good one. Thank you, Namcios. Appreciate that one. As, in, <clears throat> as inflation keeps rising in the U.S., Bitcoin offers a way out. Namcios also writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. Fed Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said that the central bank's asset purchases could end sooner than planned amid rising inflation rates and a more robust U.S. economy. <laughs> Yeah, right. Bullshit. As inflation runs rampant, Bitcoin comes to the rescue. Quote, it is appropriate, I think, for us to discuss at our next meeting, which is in a couple of weeks, whether it will be appropriate to wrap up our purchases a few months earlier, Powell reportedly said on Tuesday. In those two weeks, we are going to get more data and learn more about the new variant. End quote. The Fed shared its tapering plans earlier this month, outlining a roadmap to lead its asset purchasing program to a halt by mid-2022. Over the past year and a half, the central bank has engaged with loose monetary policies that or through quantitative easing, seeking to increase the economy's liquidity amid the COVID pandemic. Now, as the American economy gets back to its feet, and it's not, I don't know why you're saying this, dude, Powell's concerns with inflation have picked up. The Fed chair reportedly said it was time to stop using transitory, we already talked about that, to describe inflation. Uh, Powell's remarks came in response to a question by Senator Pat Toomey, who questioned him for how long inflation would have to exceed the Fed's target for the central bank to acknowledge its permanence. As the United States central bank carelessly maneuvers the economy at a whim, 
citizens can reclaim control over their finances with Bitcoin. The peer-to-peer monetary network based on open source code and an inelastic supply differ from the financial system in vogue worldwide, backboned by soft fiat currencies. With a limited and programmatic supply, Bitcoin offers certainty and fairness to anyone that adopts it, enabling them to save and build wealth for the future, regardless of what policymakers choose to do next. This is true. But Namsios, I'm I'm concerned about your statement about the United States economy getting back on its feet. Clearly, if if that is the case, we're about to shut it right the fuck back down with the moronic variant. This is exactly what they're going to do. And why, when you think about it, you can say, okay, well, Dave, you know, if this is not true, why would they be doing it? I don't know. Maybe to mask a complete overhaul of the economic system around the world. And when you wake up, you will be poor. No matter how rich you thought you were, no matter how much buying power you thought you had, you're going to end up being poor. Think about it. What does it mean for the Fed to taper their purchasing? It, all I can see it doing is locking in the high prices that we already have now. Almost as if they were saying, you know what? We can raise, we can literally raise the prices of everything around us by printing money and purchasing everything that we can. And then we're going to tell them after prices of housing and everything else around your ass has risen to a point that you can't afford nothing, we're going to announce that we're tapering because we're we're responsible. We're the responsible Fed. Well, I'm the responsible Jerome Powell. Well, it's too fucking late. It's not like your tapering is going to like, you know, decrease the prices of housing. No, 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 no. That's never going to happen. You, the damage is done. Ladies and gentlemen, the damage is done. It doesn't matter if they taper or not. And for those that are thinking that Bitcoin's going to dip, if they actually say, yes, we are actually not going to buy any more shit and they actually do it, yes, there will be a price dip in Bitcoin. And it will not last like all the other dips in Bitcoin. It's not going to matter. There's no transitory about Bitcoin's price in the face of this bullshit because all the printing that they've done is going to be with us forever and ever and ever. And you want to talk about something that is not transitory. That's all the money printing that they've done. But luckily we have Bitcoin and the first Bitcoin ETF to pay monthly yield has launched in Canada. Namcios also has this one for Bitcoin magazine. The dude must just sit down and write like all day. Canadian investors can now receive a monthly Bitcoin yield through a new exchange-traded fund listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange, reported Yahoo Finance. The Purpose Bitcoin Yield ETF employs a derivatives-based covered call strategy to pay monthly or pay investors a monthly yield. The fund was created by Purpose Investments, the asset manager that launched the first Bitcoin exchange-traded fund in North America. The pioneering product launched in February broke records in its opening week after trading $80 million worth of shares within the first hour and $200 million on its first day. The firm's new Bitcoin yield offering began trading today on the TSX under the ticker symbol BTCY.B with a management fee of 1.1%. Purpose Investments said it couldn't guarantee the yield paid out per month because, well, volatility, but it expects an annual yield of between 8 and 10% per the report. The yield is classified as income in registered accounts. 
When asked to what kind of investor the fund would appeal, Chief Operating Officer and Head of Product at Purpose Investments Vlad Tazevsky told Yahoo Finance that investors should consider the ETF if they want to earn yield while they hold them as it allows the generation of additional short-term income on an asset they believe has long-term potential. And that's a direct quote. Also, direct quote, given the connection between the volatility of the underlying asset and premiums, covered call strategies on cryptocurrencies offer unique exposure to a unique asset class, providing investors a high yield without sacrificing significant price participation, Tzevsky added. All right, well, so a yield, a brand new yield ETF for Bitcoin is now functioning. And again, it's a derivative, it's paper. They're not buying the underlying asset. They're just betting on the price. You might as well go to Vegas and go up to the roulette wheel at 35 to one odds and just blow your kids' college funds right out the damn window. I mean, if you're not going to hold the Bitcoin, what's the point? There is no point. It's just price, at this point, it's just another tool for you know potential price manipulation. It's what I don't like about the futures-based ETFs. For me, they're more about price manipulation as a tool than it is about whether or not you're giving your customers a good pro investment product or an investment vehicle, right? So call me when we have a spot Bitcoin ETF, please, for the love of God. China's central bank proposes to monitor metaverse and NFTs. I know I don't normally like to read the stuff about NFTs, but this is another round of China FUD that they have discovered that they can unleash on the market. And we're going to figure out what China is doing here. And Erhan Karaman is going to tell us about it for Cointelegraph. China's crackdown on crypto is expanding into the metaverse and non-fungible tokens. An executive at the People's Bank of China recently implied, speaking at a national financial security summit, Go Weijun, director of the anti-money laundering unit at the PBOC, pointed to the risks associated with leaving the new trends of the crypto ecosystem, such as NFTs and the metaverse, unregulated. He claimed that while people would use said digital assets for privacy and wealth appreciation, they are also prone to be used for illicit purposes, such as money laundering and tax evasion, of course. The fast paced innovation of the crypto world requires higher requirements in terms of risk supervision and governance, said the AML head. Adding that the isolated nature of crypto, NFTs, and metaverse-based items from the real world can be used as a money laundering tool, because of course, that's all humans do anymore is launder money. Suggesting an objective look at the evolution of virtual assets and the development of underlying technologies, Gao proposed to clarify the division of supervisory responsibilities, improve the transparency of virtual assets, and explore the use of supervisory sandboxes to study and judge the essence and nature of virtual assets. As the second step, Go said China could strengthen or should strengthen the monitoring and analysis of digital asset transactions. Oh, you can call uh, old Brian Armstrong from Coinbase. He'd be, he'd, he'd be like, instantly willing to sell us all down the river to the Chinese government. You just call naked mole rat and get that shit done. Banks and payment services that provide fiat to crypto gateways should authenticate senders and receivers with real names while improving the ability to identify suspicious transactions, he supposed. 
or supposed, proposed. The PBOC official suggested improving the application of new technologies and establishing a digital asset transaction traceability and scene tracking system. Such a system would apply artificial intelligence, machine learning, and other technologies to label accounts that transact with probed addresses. Lastly, GAO is open to improving cooperation among financial intelligence agencies worldwide to form an international coalition to fight crypto-related crimes. Quote, the Anti-Money Laundering Center will continue to deepen information sharing and co-investigation cooperation with 60 overseas financial intelligence agencies, he added. So there you go. China is just not going to let go. To, you know, I kept thinking that that we would be free of this shit, and certainly we are as far as as you know direct uh, impact of Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and you know exchanges and that kind of shit. But this is going to affect Bitcoin because it's going to be like an ancillary. Oh my God, they're going to do shit to NFTs, and, and for the people that don't understand, they're just going to bail out of everything that they own. I don't, it's just another round of China FUD. China cannot let go. They just can't. And honestly, what's this last one? Improving cooperation amongst financial intelligence agencies worldwide and using artificial intelligence to, you know, to do this bullshit with digital asset transaction traceability and scene tracking is there like nothing else in your mind that you can use artificial intelligence for? I can think of quite a few that do not impact or rather that do not impinge on human freedom. Why is it that the only thing we ever hear about for artificial intelligence is to drive the scariest shit from the most hellscaped dystopian novels you've ever read? Why is nobody doing anything with artificial intelligence that is actually good for humanity? Artificial intelligence is just a tool, people. It's not, the only reason to be afraid of artificial intelligence is to not be afraid of AI itself, but to be afraid of the people who are in command of it, the people who are building it, and the people who want to use it against you. AI can be built in in many different ways and it can be used as a tool by many different sets of people with many different moral and ethical value sets. Jesus Christ. But yet here we are and the only thing we ever hear about AI is a dystopian hellscape. And the PBOC is leading the way and guess who's guess who's riding coattails on that shit? United States fucking government. Let's move on to the final news piece of the day. Bitcoin mining continues to strain Kazakhstan's power grid. Stacy Elliott tells us more from Decrypt.co. When China banned Bitcoin mining in May, plenty of crypto natives scoffed. And not just because China's tried and failed to ban Bitcoin before. The mining rigs would be loaded up and shipped elsewhere, they said, because the beauty of decentralized networks is that they're borderless. Crypto finds a way, but the miners that arrived in nearby Kazakhstan have overtaxed the country's power grid so much that the government has gone from welcoming them to capping consumption and sourcing auxiliary power from Russia, according to a recent story in the Financial Times. From the start of the year to August, Kazakhstan has gone from accounting from 6% of hash rate on the Bitcoin network to 18%, according to the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Consumption Index. 
That makes it the country with the second largest presence on the network behind the United States at 35%. (coughs) It leaves a sizable margin between it and Russia at 11%. But even that figure falls short of capturing the magnitude of how much crypto mining is picked up in Kazakhstan. Since the CBECI last released hash rate estimates per country for August, the total network hash rate has increased by 43%. It fell dramatically as mining rigs went offline following the China ban and has steadily climbed back to where it was in April. Even if Kazakhstan's share of the network has remained the same since August, it would have gone from 19.7 terahashes to 28.2 terahashes per second. To put that in context, a a 2,500 rig mining farm like the one crypto mining service Exive had to recently shut down in South Kazakhstan would have generated roughly 57,500 terahashes per second if it was using the popular Antminer rigs. The hash rate increase from the start of August until now is the same as building 147 more facilities of that size. From the Exive co-founder Daidar Bekubu or Bekbu, Uh, said in an October livestream with Compass Mining, the writing has been on the wall for a while. Miners in the country were already starting to disconnect from the grid because of electricity shortages. So it wasn't much of a surprise when, last week, Beckbow, or Beckboo, posted on Twitter a video of shipping containers being packed up with the last of the company's South Kazakhstan mining rigs, saying Exive was shutting down its mining farm. It's the risk of chasing cheap energy prices, even in a country that previously had been welcoming of the crypto mining community. Kazakhstan has historically produced twice as much power as it consumes, according to a non-governmental organization, International Agency, or sorry, International Energy Agency. The country's average energy prices of four cents per kilowatt hour in March, according to global petrol prices, that's halfway what electricity cost in mainland China at the time at eight cents and one third of what it would cost in the United States at 12 cents. The country has been expecting crypto mining to add $1.5 billion to its economy over the next five years, according to the country's National Association of Blockchain and Data Center Industry but the organization says it's very aware that a large portion of crypto mining companies aren't properly registered. Oh, poor babies. The figure of 98 billion tenge, Kazakhstan's native currency, is just an economic effect that companies that are officially involved in mining, Association Chairman Alan Dorstev said in a statement at the start of November, quote, if we take into account gray miners, then this figure can be safely multiplied by two. So Kazakhstan basically kind of reneging a little bit on the deal they made with all the Chinese miners that wanted to come across the border. Uh, yeah, that was going to happen. And it's always going to happen as long as we allow government to run rampant like we have because of our fucking apathy. And at one point or another, I see the apathy breaking. And when that apathy breaks, it will not surprise me to see masses of humanity drag their politicians out into the street and give them a good dose of lead poisoning. I don't want it to happen, but here we are. And my father used to say all the time, the world is right for a world revolution. Bitcoin may have been the switch that turned that on. All right. 
right, so it's, uh, God, Wednesday. It is time for a joke, especially after that sour note that I left off with. Uh, Dad says jokes. An Englishman, a Scotsman, and an Irishman walk into a pub. The bartender says, is this some sort of joke? Yes, indeedy. If you want to support the show and support what I do, you are more than welcome to give me money. Actually, give me Bitcoin or give me death. Um, I have a Patreon account, Bitcoin and Podcast. If you want to do it in dirty fiat, I have the ability to take Twit uh, or uh, Bitcoin over Twitter, at least for the time being. We don't know how that's going to act uh, since Jack is now gone. We'll just have to see. Uh, I have a tip in me page. You can reach a lot of that stuff off of my bio, but also remember to do yourself a favor. Get your social media backed up. Get a Mastodon account. It doesn't matter what, it, in my, from what I noticed, it does not matter what, what Mastodon server you start off with. You'll end up having access to uh, like the entire federation because it's a federated system. Um, so, I mean, and you can, you can actually start up your, your own Macedon instance if you want shit. I mean, you can, I mean, well, that's the, the instance that I'm on is Bitcoin hackers and guess who started that? Rodolfo Novak of cold card fame. He's had that Macedon instance for years and I started out on it, uh, years ago. I mean, I think I was, I was one of the first ones that was actually on that instance, but it doesn't matter what Mastodon instance you get on. It's important that you get on it. And the second most important thing is to use moa.party. That's MOA party to get your tweets, to cross post to your, or to your Mastodon account so that even when you're tweeting, you're still, your presence is still being seen on Mastodon. It will help get you a footing into Mastodon. I, I'm not saying leave Twitter and go to Mastodon. I'm just saying if you've got tools like cross-posting tools that are automated like MOA Party, then you can just, whatever it is that you tweet is going to end up over, it's like you, you tweeted or that you tooted it on Mastodon. You start using that. I guarantee you, I don't know when, and I don't know what it's going to look like when it happens, but I'll tell you this, you're going to be very happy about having at least a Mastodon account. All right. And there's other, it, it doesn't have to just be Mastodon. There's other things that are out there. Twitter is not the only lens to look at the world through. And if you have been doing that, probably not a real good idea to do. Okay. With all that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.